right. Well, Derek Carr, the quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders, said, faith, family, football. That's the order of his priorities. Whereas Tom Brady, quarterback for the Buccaneers, says football is unconditional love. You can kind of see some of their divergent opinions on their priorities. You know, being in the season of football, I always try to bring in some different analogies and make fun of other teams that aren't Ohio State. Um, you know, I don't think it's much of a surprise that you understand that I'm, you know, I like Ohio State, being from that state, and, you know, even though they win a lot, I'm also a Cleveland Browns fan. And if you paid attention to what happened last Sunday, the Browns were the Browns yet again. Just loved watching the Indians as well, having a love, a genuine love for sports as I grew up. Played three sports in high school, went on in college and played tennis uh, collegiately, and just enjoyed sports. But over the years, as I've gotten older, I mean, I still like sports, but the obsession around them has changed. You know, as I've gotten older, I've filled that love with other things, getting married, having kids. Um, you know, even though I wouldn't say it's at the same level, I still enjoy making fun of Michigan fans. Um, one of my favorite onesies that I had for the kids that Noah pretty much wore said, I poop on Michigan. You know, being in Ohio, I had a lot of Michigan fans that we would just go back and forth in that type of banter. And it was, it was fun. It was lighthearted. It was something that made the rivalry, rivalry interesting. But over time, I had to slow down on some of that interest. Some of those things just didn't become as important to me. You know, as you look back on your life, perhaps you can identify similar changes in lifestyles and attitudes as you mature. You know, it's oddly refreshing to see those areas of growth that we have had since maybe our, our youth, our teens, and stuff like that. You know, now that I'm in that phase of parenting where I'm having teens, I have that wonderful conversation of, was I this way when I was a teen? It's one of those humbling conversations that you have with yourself. But you can see growth. As you grow out of your teenage years and your brain develops and you get, gain an understanding of the world. There are changes that happen over time and then, then there's changes that happen instantly. I mean, I can look back at several different instances in my life where a behavior that I would partake in was changed instantly or I had to quit it cold turkey because there was something, there was a better choice for my life in that area. You know, each day is filled with decisions that carry reward and consequence. And as we look at this next area of our passage in Colossians 3, we're going to focus on some of those area that, areas that Paul calls us to put to death. So let's open up your Bibles, and we're going to be in Colossians 3, focusing on verses 5 through 11 this morning. Okay. 
All right, Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the, crea- after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you open up our hearts and minds so that we can see your truths this morning. Have your spirit convict us in these areas where we need to grow. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for uh, your long-suffering. And Father, we just pray that we can honor you today as we go through this text. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now hopefully we're able to separate in our minds this talk of putting off and putting on as we're going to be talking about what we put off this week and then putting on next week. Um, Hopefully we're still going to be making some of the connections from last week and be able to hold everything together. Originally, through this series, my intent was to focus on what we are to put on, what Paul is charging the early church to do. But really, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. So kind of a little review or recap. Last week, we kind of went over the first four verses in a deeper way, and we looked at some of the context up in chapter 2. We saw the perspective that Christians were to have as they looked at their identity, as they understood who they are in Christ, um, while also understanding the commands of seeking and setting our minds on the things above making connections to baptism and the death that we have and the life that we now have as well. In these next verses of what we read today, we're going to look at the specific commands again that Paul gives as well as more identity pieces. So we're going to make these connections throughout the text and all what Paul is telling the Colossians. Um, You know, here he is instructing them how their life is to be lived out by putting off certain things and then next week by putting on different things. But you know, you see that he, uh, in verse five, says that they are to put to death. Uh, A little bit later he says to put off or to lay aside in verse eight and then do not lie in verse nine. These three are the commands that he gives. And then we'll also look at the identity pieces in terms of having a new self, being renewed in the image of its creator Uh, Speaking of God, the one who gives us the new life. So with these three imperatives, with this identity, Paul is giving us guidance uh, of how to move forward in what would be kind of a radical change for the culture and for this people group within the early church whose life is now hidden with Christ. So starting with this first imperative of to put to death. Now this is kind of a callback to last week and the death that we have died to in reference to baptism and our understanding of that. It's in reference to Jesus' literal death 
for our understanding of how we, we reckon or we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. We talked about that from Romans 6.11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is informing the Colossians of what they are to put to death, and that is all that is earthly within you. Again, making that type of a connection up to the first two verses, how we set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are earthly. So the things that are earthly, he's saying we need to put to death. So he's making this very plain for them to see within these connections. But he was also realistic about the expectations. He understood the struggle. You know, despite their identification with Christ in his death, there were still parts of the old life, habits, addictions, besetting sins that tied them to this earth, that hindered them from unequivocally setting their minds and their hearts on things above. So he is commanding them that they need to put them to death. And again, we talked about this last week in terms of the semantic side of things, the playing with words in terms of uh, doing things in our own power versus obedience and how we understand those things. Again, back up in chapter two, Paul mentions asceticism. This is kind of his look at people who were trying to do things in their own power. They were trying to live out religious lives. They were trying to, to have this law that they lived by. You know, it was a do better, try harder in my own power approach to living a holy life where it's by our own will rather than denying the desires of this earth and relying on the Holy Spirit. You know, you think about that, those times in our own life, how often are we working in our own power? You know, is that wonderfully or woefully working for us? Now earlier, I said sports and football is an area that I've worked on in the past. Now I'm guessing, it's just a hunch, but I'm guessing not everybody is a huge football fan in this room. But it just goes to show that there are other things that people struggle with that might not be the same struggles that everybody else goes through. You know, you, you hear somebody struggle and you think, that's crazy, why would you struggle with something like that? You know, everybody is unique, everybody is different, everybody faces the different types of temptations. But do we recognize those areas in our life where we're depending on our own willpower. You know, your willpower can change on a dime based on the temptations you face. Think of a kid going into a candy store and you tell them, you have to look at everything in this candy store but you can only take two things. You can only get two things. I actually did this exercise with my children in South Carolina. Can you guess which child this was a very big struggle for? Becca seemed to go to every single stall and say, Dad, I want this one. Oh, Dad, I really want this one. Oh, Dad, look at this one. Oh, can we have more than two, Dad? She may or may not have a sweet tooth. I'm not sure. But you know, for the church, Paul says that it's by relying on the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to put to death the actions of the body and you will live. It's not by your own willpower. Because if it's by our own strength, we're going to suffer, we're going to fail. Romans chapter 8, focusing on verse 13, but I'm going to read some of the context for us today. 
starting in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, I mean, notice in verse 13, it is by the Spirit that you put these things to death, that you are led by the Spirit. And I read some of that context to also show how Paul is consistent in that he gives our identities often as he is writing to these churches to remind them of where their identity is to be rooted. So this radical change that Paul is talking about does not happen on its own, nor by our own power. He's talking about how we need to break from the things of this world, the things that are earthly, the religious things even, that can hold us back. He talked again about this approach in, in chapter 2 of Colossians. Christianity is not supposed to be a do-it-yourself religion where you're trying to make yourself right. It's supposed to be a religion of the heart, a connection with Christ where we are yielded to him, submitted to him in a deep relationship, where we're walking with him daily in a deep way, where we're being transformed into his image, not an image of our own desires or an image that the world creates for us. We think about the images that the world creates, whether that's money, whether that's fame, whether that's our jobs, that type of placement. You know, we're not trying to do these things to be comfortable or profitable in life. We're not taking pictures on social media to get attention, putting on the right filter, so forth and so on. God is pleased with a humble and contrite heart, one that is yielded and submitted to him. A little bit more context in Colossians chapter 1. Paul says that he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as we talked about last week, the power of sin is broken through the cross, through what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And we're sitting there in various moments of our life, in our days, in our interactions, making decisions for or against God for our own desires, for our own earthly pleasures, or for the will of God. And you have the Holy Spirit who is there guiding us as believers. He's empowering us through the word. He's showing us God's will in our life. We can then choose to be obedient and seek the things above, set our minds on the things above, or focus on the earthly things around us. Again, that is where the decisions happen. And it's here that Paul is saying then, you are to put to death what is earthly in you. And he gives out this list of things. Now, in many of his other letters, he has lists as well. A lot of the lists, they might be worded a little bit differently, but they talk about the same things. I like Ephesians 5 um, because it kind of gives an opposite where it will say, you know, 
instead of crude talking, let your, let your talking be of thanksgiving. So it gives an opposite of what you're supposed to do right after. But for the most part, he's repeating again the same things that are found in this list that we read over today in Colossians 3. So let's kind of go through that list a little bit. Sexual immorality. This would be illicit sexual activity. Uh, things that are prohibited, things that are not allowed by law. For us as believers, this would be biblically, understanding where our standard comes from. Now, a lot of times we can limit within a church that this is talking about the LGBTQ um, tribe, but really this is everything that is sexually immoral. Pornography, premarital sex, lust, affairs, etc. Impurity, mainly talking about moral impurity, things that would be unholy that we're taking a part of. Passion, now some translations might throw in a lustful passion. This shows that this is a passion that is obsessive by nature. It's talking about uncontrolled desires that would not be right, that would be illegitimate things to have. Evil desire. This is more the general sense of evil where we're looking towards doing evil things to gratify our own desires, our, our own pleasures. Covetousness. It's a greed for others' things. This can also include lust. This would be kind of an arrogant and ruthless view of how others and their things are designed to gratify myself, my own pleasures, getting what I want out of this. These are types of carnal behaviors that bring the wrath of God. They're punishable by God. Now as you look at that list, as you see that warning, if you're like me at some points in your life, you probably thought, oh no, I've done these things. Does that mean the wrath of God is coming for me? It's a lie of sorts from the enemy because what it shows is that our identity is shaking a little bit, where our footing is not firmly footed in Christ, to where we're not understanding the forgiveness of our sins being past, present, and future, where we're not understanding repentance well enough, where we're not understanding being open and honest with confession. You know, you think about this list and the times that you screw up and how the enemy can use that in your life. You know, you look at who Paul is talking to, he is talking to the church, early believers, and, and he is helping them to understand where their identity is. You know, he is reaffirming that their identity is in Christ, yet here he is talking to them about things that they need to put to death. And he is giving this warning, meaning he wouldn't be giving this warning if it wasn't a problem if it wasn't an issue going on in this church. So this church is still having trouble struggling with putting these things off. We also want to acknowledge, as he says, these are ways in which you once walked, in ways in which you were once living. That was your identity. But now you have a new identity. Jesus is their identity. 
They have put on the new self who is being renewed. It's a continuous, ongoing process where they are being formed in the image of their creator. That is their identity. That is the identity of believers even today. Now, for the most of us, sometimes we think of this new creation as something that just kind of happens. And then we can just go along our merry, on our merry way. We've got our ticket to heaven. I can still live in the world and just do whatever I want to do. And then life smacks us upside the head. And we face some of these consequences. And we wonder why we're not growing. We wonder why life is so hard. Where is God? We have troubles in our relationships, whether that's our marriages, our, our kids, parents, work, friendships. And we wonder why. You know, Paul stresses how we must put these things to death because sin brings destruction. Sin brings separation. Sin brings the wrath of God. And when we are engaging actively in sin, we're not shielded from the earthly consequences. You struggle with pornography. You cheat on your spouse. Divorce is in your future. You have greed for others' things you're not ever going to have enough and you might eventually resort to stealing one day, end up in prison. You have desires that are not pure, it's going to lead you away from the Father. The type of music you listen to, the type of shows that you're watching, the different obsessions that we have in life. Unless it is leading us to the Father, it's probably leading us away from the Father. But that's how we get entertainment. That's how we escape from the pressures. And yet we still wonder why our life can be a mess. You know, we are all one bad decision away from prison. Never think too highly of ourselves. Paul says, first check, am I seeking the things above? Is my mind set on the things above? If you're doing that, have I put to death these issues in my life? Because if you haven't, maybe you should go back to the first questions and see if your answer is genuine. Paul continues on with another list that deals with our attitudes towards others. Anger. Kind of defined as a settled attitude of hostility in general towards people in particular or certain situations. For me, anger comes through stress a lot of times. I'm a lot more short when I'm stressed out in life. Um, one of those areas happens to be in my driving. I think that started back when I was a, a younger kid, probably eight or nine years old. I grew up on Farside Comics and Calvin and Hobbes, hence my sarcastic nature. But this was one of my favorite uh, Farside Comics. Since being in Iowa and driving on the interstate a lot more, it becomes a little bit more true in my life. I'm not sure, I haven't heard this phrase a lot lately, but when I was growing up, it was always a common phrase, there's a special place in hell for fill in the fill in whatever group of people that you might be angry with or not like. And of course, Gary Larson made fun of that comment. Wrath. Wrath is violent anger. 
verbal outbursts of evil passion. Different from the wrath of God, by the way, because God's wrath is justice. It is something that is a form of punishment for a crime. Malice is an extreme ill will. Wanting to hurt a neighbor without cause uh, or for mere personal gratification, revenge, spite. Slander is insulting, malicious speech based in lies in order to injure another person, trying to tarnish their reputation. Obscene speech, filthy, dirty, disgraceful speech. Lying, and this is the command of do not lie to one another, but lying is deceptive untruths, even distorting truths. But you look at this list, guilty? With this list as well, Paul is calling for them to put them away, to lay them aside, meaning don't pick them back up, don't live in them, don't walk in them, don't make them your identity. Will you get angry? Will you lie? Will you have malice or slander at times? Yeah, we're human. We fail, we mess up but it is not to be a practice or a lifestyle because you have put on the new self because you have taken off these old ways of living and you're being renewed in the knowledge as it says in verse 10. And I like to think of this knowledge in the Old Testament sense, which is a very deep knowing, not just some intellectual exercise, but a deep knowing where you know intimately who the Father is. Now with this new creation, this new life, for the Colossians, we also see that there wasn't gonna be a division among them. There wasn't labels that were gonna be happening to separate them. There is only Christ who is all and in all. Again, he is your life and you are hidden with with him as believers. So today, um, putting this using this putting off language in this conversation, I wanna address for us how as Christians, you know, sometimes we can believe some of the lies out there that we can just come to Jesus and everything will be better. Now, granted, when you come to Jesus, things do get better, but there's also hardships. There's realizations that you have to walk through based on the sin in your life as you deal with those different consequences, and that can be difficult. I find there's not a ton of talk in the sanctification realm in terms of how people grow and what that actually looks like. How do we come out from underneath some of these addictions, um, these hardships that we face on a regular basis? Maybe just a random come to Jesus in those times? Is that gonna work all the time? See, there's been this, this conflation, this melding of, of sanctification and salvation of, of the church and the world that has happened for years. In the church there exists some different teachings. Teachings that can lean too heavily on grace, to which Bonhoeffer then calls a cheap grace because it does not consider the cost of what Jesus says to be a disciple. It doesn't consider the responsibility in terms of action, in terms of obedience. It's just a come get your free ticket to heaven type of grace. 
Then there are teachings that are still very works-based in terms of getting to the Father, completing this list of things in order to say that you're saved. And we insert, the, we insert these ideas into our definitions of sanctification and salvation. And if people aren't lining up with our own expectations of that, well, then as Sproul says, if by the skin of their teeth, I guess they're saved. Good thing we're on the right side. In reality, when we preach the gospel, when we begin to understand who Jesus is, we, there has to be this discussion, discussion that happens about the cost of being a disciple. Jesus makes this very clear to his disciples in almost all of the gospels in several different locations. They need to count the cost. They need to be ready to hate their father and mother. They need to be ready to pick up and go wherever God calls them to go. They need to be able to take up their own cross. And one of my favorite areas of this teaching is in John 6. You know, Jesus goes through some hard teachings and many of his followers leave. And then he asks the 12, are you gonna leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, it's not always just peaches and cream when you become a disciple of Jesus, when you experience salvation. God asks of things from you. And perhaps for some of us, there's not been a lot of teaching on the what or how we need to put things to death. Where this understanding of what we're called to be in terms of being holy as your heavenly father is holy where we need to live a life that is based in holiness not as a way to earn salvation but as a way of obedience to the will of the father because when we think about it yeah you still struggle with anger we want it to be gone how I mean, the fact that I struggle with my anger can sometimes make me more angry. It's a nice circular argument. But Paul lays out the how. He says, seek the things above. Set your minds on the things above. Meaning, read the word. Be in prayer. Worship with other believers. Put these other things to death. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, many of the great evangelists who have touched the world for God, including such men as Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney, have declared that the church is being betrayed by those who insist on Christianity being made too easy. Jesus laid down the terms of Christian discipleship, and there are some among us who would criticize. Those words of Jesus sound harsh and cruel. This is where we stand. Receiving Jesus Christ into your life means that you have made an attachment to the person of Christ that is revolutionary, in that it reverses the life and transforms it completely. It is complete in that it leaves no part of the life unaffected. It exempts no area of life of the total man. By faith and through grace, you have now formed an exclusive relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. All your other relationships are now conditioned and determined by your one relationship to your Savior. To receive Jesus Christ, then, is to attach ourselves in faith to his holy person, to live or die forever. 
he must be first and last and all. Now, for many of us, we don't allow Jesus into every area of our life like we ought to. And then we wonder why we're still facing these consequences, why we don't have peace, why we, why we struggle with besetting sins, why we don't have joy. You know, why do I, why do I struggle with drinking while I'm sitting at this bar? Why do I struggle with vanity as I'm looking at these ads and these filters on social media? Why do I lie to myself and others as I'm ashamed because of the guilt of my sins? And we build up these walls that no one can get into. Have we counted the cost of what it means to be his? He doesn't just want us on Sundays. He wants all of our life, completely. And Jesus offers healing for the total person. We need we do need to come to him. We seek him. We set our minds on the things above. And when we're faced with these temptations, hopefully, even before the temptations arrive, we are prepared. We've put the armor of God on. You know, when we face these battles, in terms of understanding the how, Paul lays that out for us in Ephesians. If you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, he gives us instructions and I think that this is something that should be a daily read on our parts to prepare us for what faces us each and every day. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, sorry, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So you... You look at that passage, and Paul lays out what our heart and minds need to be focused on. And this is a daily battle because we have an enemy that is persistent. We have an enemy that would love nothing more to separate us from the hands of God, to continually attack us, to keep us in the earthly things, to keep our hearts and our minds focused on those, entertained, numbed, whatever it might be. This needs to be a daily read in our life. 
You know, today I want to close with a prayer from Thomas Aquinas. He said, Give me, O Lord, a steadfast heart which no unworthy thought can drag downward, an unconquered heart which no tribulation can wear out, an upright heart which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. You know, as we are facing these conflicts and these problems in our life, we need to check to make sure that we um, are putting to death these things that are listed here. We need to make sure that our eyes are focused on him, that our minds are set on the things above, that our hearts are set on the things above, and that we're seeking him above all other, other things because he is all and in all, and that should give us hope. So let us pray. Father, as we come before you again today, we just thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, as we are wrestling in different areas of life, whether those areas are known or unknown, I pray that we can be convicted and empowered by your spirit to, to receive encouragement and hope through the truth of your word. Lord, that we are able to identify the lies of the enemy, for they are many. Lord, I pray that you would help us in the different areas that we obsess over, the different idols that we have in our lives that we place over you, that we can put to death these carnal behaviors, the ways in which we treat others that are not right or proper, the ways that are not holy. And Lord, that we can spend time knowing and understanding you through your word, through times of prayer and worship, so that we can see others the way that you see others, so that we can be beacons of light and hope in a world of darkness. Lord, I pray that you would break through in those areas that we're struggling with today, that you would help us to rest in your truth, to know what your word says, like we talked about last week, to study the scriptures in those areas of struggle so that the Spirit can call those back to our minds so that in the midst of those struggles, Lord, we can speak your truth to the enemy's lies. Lord, equip us with the armor of God. Allow us to understand that and to take it seriously, to hold fast to the confession of hope that we have in you. Lord, we praise you for the salvation that we've received. Help us today to put to death that which is earthly in us. May your name be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.